You're listening to the Green Majority Radio Program. Thank you so much for downloading our podcast. Stefan and I are back this week, as is our bonus show. Don't worry. Uh, we have a really good show for you uh, this week. A lot of obviously happening in the news, and uh, we get right down to it pretty quickly. So I'll just uh, take a moment just to remind you that if you appreciate what we do, uh, you can become a member of our tiny little family here on Patreon. You can support us by becoming a matron, uh, member on Patreon for a recommended donation of $5, but we also accept a tip. Uh, the minimum is just $1 a month. Anything you can donate helps uh we really appreciate it you can do that at patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash green majority or check out the website at greenmajority.ca. enjoy the show Welcome. Hello. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5. I hear my voice a little clear now. I'm going to start again. <laughs> You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5. I am your host, Saren Kaster. I'm here with Stefan. How are you doing? Both of us have been away. Yes. And you, lo- you longer. So uh, I've been away for a few weeks now. It's true. Yeah. So uh, it's just you and me, but... We're uh, we're rested and ready to go. I think there you go. So uh, I want to thank again uh, our guests from last week uh, to Molly and the folks from the uh, uh, Anthropocene uh, class and BZ Gray as well for uh, helping us fill out a show while Stefan and I were unable to come in. If you missed that episode, check out the website greenmajority.ca. It was a uh, very detailed uh, overview overview of uh, the toxic tour. BZ Gray was one of the uh, tour guides for the toxic tour in Sarnia. Uh, in Chemical Valley. And uh, if you missed that, make sure you go back and listen to it. But now we're on to this week. So what I'm going to be doing later in the program, I'm going to be more or less taking point on the middle and end sections as usual. Stefan will be leading in just a moment as usual. Uh, what I'm going to be doing in the middle of the show is we're talking a little bit about, it's sort of like the oil report. That will be the middle of the, the show. I'm going to be talking a little bit about Exxon and some uh, so a little bit of an older story, but I think it's worth uh, talking about because we didn't at the time uh, uh, some shareholder issues. I think it's interesting to sort of compare and contrast uh, some of the actions being taken by shareholders with some of these major oil companies. Uh, also going to be talking about uh, the internal climate policy just briefly because there's some fun fun quotes uh, from Brad Wall to talk about uh, and I may or may not get to uh, some reviews about the energy industry uh changing, let's say, changing their attitude with respect to talking to Aboriginal uh, groups in Canada. So that'll be the middle of the show. The end of the show, I'm not going to tell you what the stories are, but we're just calling it the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I have both good, bad, and ugly stories, or all of the above. Hmm. So that'll be the middle and the end. Stefan, you are now in charge. What, what are we going to talk about now? Thank you so much. Uh, can you, good, uh, good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, evening, uh, or good night, depending on when you are listening to the show. Uh, so I wanted to cover a, a concept that I've been, I've been thinking about for a while, which is I guess I can call it. I, call, I, I feel like every every week I inc- introduce a new segment, and then I never follow up the segment. Uh, but there is. Uh, but I promise to get back to a few of them soon. But this one is called the debates I wish we were having, um, which mostly focuses on a uh, one debate we are having, uh, and b the debate I wish we were having instead. Uh, so to begin with the d- the debate that we are having, uh, which is surrounding. Uh, so for those of you not in the city of Toronto, uh, which where where this is obviously recorded from. Uh, there's a there's been an ongoing effort for quite some time to put together a climate strategy for the city, and the idea is that creating a create a a an, a, a roadmap uh, towards a Toronto that would actually be sustainable. So it's it's quite an audacious 
plan. Uh, it's called TransformTO. Uh, it was a sort of a, a joint effort through a bunch of different organizations, uh, in- including the Toronto Atmospheric Fund, um, and to come up together with a plan to actively get Toronto's carbon emissions on track, uh, or at least tor- trending in the right direction is the lowest bar, um, successfully actually c- creating a place that is uh, – you know, not pumping uh, that is sustainable is sort of the ultimate goal, I guess we'll say. Um, and the so transform to has been this ongoing, ongoing thing. Uh, and it's it, the, the release. The, the full report was released uh, a few uh, a few months ago. Uh, it's, it's it's again is audacious plan. It covers the three major ele- elements in which uh, cities uh, or at least uh, at least Toronto. Uh, does pollute or does create carbon. Uh, now, what's interesting, of course, is that what's inter- important to note, which I've noted before, is that almost all city plans, including this one, really focus on on on, on scope three, quote-unquote, um, uh, emissions, which are emissions that are actually caused by uh, by the city itself. Uh, and so these are things that the, sort of the city uh, it feels like it's directly in control of. So this does not include any of the sustainability of being able to, uh, uh, or any of the uh, carbon related to, say, trucking in a whole bunch of uh of of clothes for you or like you know the seventeen thousand ipods that must get in and now ipods seem makes makes dates me now doesn't it um what what about their pagers yes exactly Uh, all does does not cover all the pagers that we in toronto still use and have to ship in from other places Uh, but it does include uh the main areas are things like transportation uh waste and uh, and, and heating and cooling, I think, are the three that are the major pieces of this. Um, and because they are the ones that the city feels like it has actual direct control over. And so there, there is this plan. This plan is, is, is quite intensive. It, it, it covers those three topics and has sets gold, gold maps and everything else like that that actually might get us somewhere uh, to make these real changes. Um, and and then it goes in front of and it and it looks like it might it, it probably will pass. Now it was supposed to come to the to uh, to the to the council in in May of in May. It got delayed. Uh, the new the new date is now July fifth. Uh, probably uh, again, they sort of deferred it once, so they, whether or not they get to it on July fifth will be another question. But that's the that's the next time it's it's scheduled at least uh, to to vote on it. And there's going to be debate about it. There's going to be debate about whether or not it's doable and all this sort of stuff. Um, and now it's obviously required, so it would be great if we did some of these things and, and move towards other things. But again, what, what's important here is this also highlights, and this debate highlights the important difference between setting goals and achieving goals. Uh, because while Transform TO uh, as a as a goal is laudable, it, it would be a progressive move uh, towards actually tackling climate change. Getting it passed is only the first step. And arguably, it's like it's the first step that then you could actually implement it. But no one really thinks that it is is getting passed will do anything. And the reason why is because the Toronto City Council refuses to actually fund it at all. Uh, And so uh, despite the fact that it has all these audacious plans and, of course, these sort of things require money – more than one uh, attempt to get it funded has failed. So the main, the major one was during the 2017 plan. Um, uh, uh, Councillor Gord Perks requested 1.2 million, 1.22 million dollars uh, as a part of Transform TO, uh, and it failed 21 to 23. So we can have a plan, but we put no money towards the plan. 
so I don't know at what point do we consider this a, a plan at all. Uh, and it gets worse because, you know, this is, the, this is, of course, how things work in our world. Uh, it's not just that the 2017 plan for this measly $1.22 million. Like, I know millions of dollars sounds high, but in comparison to the rest of the uh, budget of Toronto, this is almost no money. Uh, on top of that being uh, being uh, being shot down, the city staff have now recommended a budget freeze for 2018. Which, in a budget freeze, should point out is that means it's not even increasing the spending at the rate of inflation. Which means there's actually going to be service cuts here. Yeah. So a freeze is more than a freeze. A fr- calling it a freeze is is politically expedient for certain people, but that is a it is a charge term. Pretty much no matter how you use it. Yeah. Uh, and just to be aware of that. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's political doublespeak, folks. Yeah. Like like freezing this, freezing the actual how much money you're going to be spending is a cut by the percentage of inflation because we just the money just goes thus far and therefore that gets must get cut from these budgets um and so and so not only is there not a lot of hope say for the 2017 getting any money 2018 also looks bleak uh and so here we are fighting around this whole battle around just trying to get any money to take it to pay attention to climate change at all uh and that's the debate we're currently having now, it should also be pointed out that, like, as much you said, you know, a one point something million dollars is a very small amount of money for a city. It's also a freaking rounding error for a province, which is most likely where <laughs> the money would end up coming. So I, I just to overemphasize that, that that amount of money is 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 almost irrelevant. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so and, and these are th- you know, these are things that uh, the, the general themes and, the, and what Transform Trio is going for are things that urbanists have been are, are, have been have been pushing for for a very long time uh, and and just is generally considered, you know, good, good city infrastructure, good city planning. These are things like better transit, um, uh, complete and dense and walkable communities, urban agriculture, cycling infrastructure, presence of green space. Like these are things that make cities livable uh, and enjoyable. And so, and yet we still can't find any funding for it at all. You know, this is like, this, 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 we're not, we're, we're sort of still treading water basically, or even worse. Um, so to move on to a, uh, to the, the argument uh, or the debate I wish we were having, uh, I want to direct you to an article uh, by Alex Stefan, who's this interesting person. His, it may not be pronounced Stefan, and maybe I'm biased because his last name may be Stefan, not spelt like mine is. Um, but uh, the, the article is called Building Roads and Making Bank. Um, and it's, what's interesting about it is it's a, it, it's an article that you can read once. And if you don't catch the very first line, you can sort of believe that it's a, uh, that it is a article from, from like today. Uh, it's, it's in, in reality, it is a part of sort of a futurist, uh, sort of, um, what we could be doing kind of thing. The, the, the article is, is, is a fictional article written for 2025, but the information it is still, is still based off of what would exist today and true. Um, and so... Uh, it is t- basically pitch. It's, bas- it's, a, it's basically one long pitch for a business, uh, and the business works like this: uh, there are paved roads everywhere across across uh, North America. Uh, this current this, the, the example happens in the states, um, and and so there's this ongoing battle of keeping all of these roads paved. I'm sure if you've ever driven in Toronto or really anywhere in the world, um, especially uh, you've seen that something that, that is requires that road maintenance is an ongoing requirement. And 
and it's and it, and, and it quite, it's quite expensive to actually replace the entire uh, entire roads, and so they often they do some patchwork, uh, and then still, but slowly but surely, it gets more and more expensive to, to do these roads until you get these full replacements. And and you probably have heard stories about uh, about the crumbling infrastructure in the United States. You probably you know, and when you know when even when Obama came in with the big stimulus package, one of the big things what money they were investing in was infrastructure in the United States. Uh, Justin Trudeau has a highly controversial infrastructure bank that he's trying to set up that will semi-privatize uh, public infra- infrastructure in some ways. Here's how bad the infrastructure situation is in the United States. The Republicans are pushing for infrastructure spending. Yes. They're, they're, they're pushing for spending. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, at all. And at full stop. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so... And so the, and road maintenance is a part of this infrastructure that is crumbling. Uh, and one thing about this is that we spent a lot of time paving over absolutely everything. Uh, and so there are many places in the United States, and especially and if you go into the, some, I'm sure, uh, suburban Canada as well, um, that you will find plenty of roads that are far, far wider than they need to be. Um, and, 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 and all of that extra road space is extra maintenance space. That's extra costs you must maintain. And so this basic this pitch is this art is, is for a this uh, for a company that uh, calls itself uh, a very different thing. It calls itself uh, roadbed solutions, which I think is a very funny, uh, very funny phrase. Because in reality, roadbed solutions ends up at the end of the article. Spoiler alert: uh, to be basically a development company. Um, and the development company here is their entire their entire plan uh, is that they they will come in. They will pitch to a to a city uh, that they will take up. Uh, they will help them repair some of the roads. Uh, so they'll repair some road, uh, get rid of some of the excess road. So so pare down the road size, replace part of the road with other infrastructure. So whether it's green, uh, whether it's green infrastructure or it's cycling uh, or anything like that, um, and and they will absorb all of the cost of doing that. And none of the none of that space will end up will become private. It would would stay public, uh, and they would just be doing this out of the out of the kindness of their heart. Uh, now, whenever a corporation says they're doing something out of the kindness of their heart. Obviously, you must be like, but wait, there's a second part of this, and there is. Uh, the second part of this is that the idea is that basically from uh, for, for doing that, uh, the way they get paid is that the city will give them uh, the ability to lease another open area, another open of pa- area of, of pavement. Um, and because the idea here is that basically that we have so much pavement. There's about I think, there's a stat in the article that's about I think we have in some places th- over three parking spots per car uh, in some of the w- most ridiculous counties in the United States, and so. Uh, and especially as uh, as baby boomers uh, retire uh, and stop driving, and young people drive less, uh, there is this ongoing expansion of need uh, to address how many roads and how much cement we have anywhere. And so the idea basically is that uh, in exchange for preparing some roads and giving some infrastructure that the city would decide, uh, the city would then lease them some space. Uh, to, uh, which was previously a parking lot. So it wouldn't be leasing you more green space. It'd be another parking lot the city owns already. And instead of making a parking lot, you'd give them rights to develop it in some way. Uh, and so the suggestions often here are, are things like you, and then they would flip that to a developer. Uh, and the developer would then get like, you know, a four or five story apartment building on that, uh, and then would make some money. 
Mm. And so, so they did basically, and so this the one, one of these things that sounds on the top of it like too good to be true. Obviously, uh, you know, it's like this is a developer who is upfront costing a bunch of money to repair a bunch of roads, um, and then get a then get a uh, apartment building uh, where and and then you and then the city doesn't pay any money. But loses some concrete, becomes more walkable, and 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 doesn't and doesn't lose any land either. Not selling any land. They're just they're just leasing the land, so they get the land back at the end of it, if they want, um, or they could you know release it or something. Well, I mean, I, I, essentially, what they're doing is they're 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 taking. I mean, this could be made to sound sinister, but I I, I don't think we have enough information to decide on that. But it's it's the sort of thing where uh, essentially a company is making a long term decision based on the fact that they know that that generally uh, provinces and cities uh, uh, government generally isn't good at making long-term decisions. They're saying, look, we're going to give you something that's very appealing to government, which is a short-term thing uh, that's going to be very, very inexpensive. And, and and what we're asking for is to be paid out on the long term. And that could that same arrangement could be used to very nefarious ends. So I, I, I'm not insinuating in any way uh, that that but it's sort of it's interesting to look at that dynamic sort of where where essentially government or companies are, are looking at how governments work and designing their business model around the limitations of government. Well, again, yeah, like this, 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 this plan currently doesn't exist. It doesn't like no one is actually doing this right now. Mm. Uh, in part, I think because of that pitch, the hardest part about this pitch is the argument that like, hey, we'll put a bunch of we'll put millions and millions of dollars up front, um, and then and and zoning and like, there's a lot of barriers to this kind of plan. Um, and the plan itself, I think, is also a. Uh, is is difficult to to swallow for I think many people who uh, who want to see more land and more things control uh, you know protected and controlled by the government. Mm-hmm. Now in a place uh, like Toronto where you see housing prices soaring, uh, having an extra four or five story uh, apartment building where there was once a parking lot uh, for those of us who don't drive sounds pretty great. Uh, and I think this is probably even more true in places where uh, where parking is dramatically more accessible uh, than uh, than some might find downtown Toronto parking to be. Now, then again, we're basically selling to parking spaces on King Street for two hundred dollars. I think it's something like a. It's I, I, I will say it's two hundred dollars a like I think it's like a month or something. It's 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 so cheap uh, how much we're selling parking for in on the on the street parking right now. Um, this was that was determined during the King Street renewal conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a debate we could be having. We could be having debate about wh- about wh- how we feel about private industry uh, dealing with this kind of, uh, you know, is it worth it to trade off some development for for these other benefits we get? Um, and 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 is that a, is that a, a risk we're willing to take? Uh, is it willing? Are we willing to find interesting ways to allow? people to develop and, and, and to create urbanism that is more interesting and, and more green and, and all these other benefits that we're actually looking for. Um, and are we willing to, to, to f- accept the fight that we can lo- no longer have cities that are dominated by cars in the same way? Um, and all of these are questions that we debate we could be having. And I would encourage everyone to go uh, check out either, either the post link or, or, the, or, or my Twitter feed uh, to find this article and read the whole thing because I'm actually interested in having this conversation. Um, you know, it, it, I don't know whether or not this is a uh, – this is certainly not a magic bullet. Um, and, and, the, uh, and the concept of, 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 this, of this sort of weird uh, – 
whenever there's someone who st- whenever something ever sounds too good to be true, I think the question always is, well, why isn't that true? And usually the answer is things like, well, it's very difficult to get a permit for a four, for a four story building, so having to do that before you even have the lease of the land space or anything else, like there's all these different pieces of it that you have to walk through, and none of these things are clear cut. Mm. However, uh, I would much 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 rather be having the debate about whether or not this is a deal we'd rather do, knowing that it will reduce the amount of cement that we need in, uh, every single year uh, and asphalt, which is a massive carbon creation, uh, provide housing for people who need it, um, and and all of and provide bike lanes and green space and all sort of stuff like that. And like, is that trade off worth it? That's a debate I would like to be hearing. Not can we put any money at all towards climate uh, from a, from a transformed geos perspective. Um, and you know, like we earlier this year, we also we, we also re- rejected. Uh, Tory was part of the push to not uh, fund extra um, paying attention to sort of how uh, flood flooding measures uh, and water management systems. Uh, it would be nice to not have that conversation uh, and instead have this conversation. I think we're so far behind where we need to be to have the t- the kinds of conversations and kinds of debates we need to be having. Can't can no longer be these ones of. Can we provide any money at all to these things? And instead, can like where can we find these 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 new shots? Because at this point, um, we have to start trying something, and they're going to seem radical. Uh, but I don't see another way around it. We don't have the timelines to to not be radical at this point. So why not try something that at least gets us something better? All right, thank you, Stefan. Uh, we're going to go to break. Uh, my my sort of closing thought on on that part of it was that like you know people would be forgiven for uh, thinking that I'm sort of anti anyone making money. It's <laughs> uh, not the case, and I think sort of the important distinction I would make based on my example of like you know uh, profit models being designed around the limitations, the known limitations of government and things government aren't good at, like long term decision making. An example where I'd put that in the clearly nefarious uh, category is things like selling off private uh, resources in the sale, like for instance in Ontario, like selling off Hydro One. So taking something that the government runs and uses as a source of income, uh, taking a short-term cash influx to essentially sell out uh, a resource that is owned by this people who live in Ontario for the long term. That's a, that's a thing where you know a government and a company made a deal that they each benefit. Uh, the, the government benefits politically and in the short term based on the fact that the citizens that they're benefiting from um, don't really understand what just happened. And and ultimately, it's the citizens who are going to lose. That is a case where I think that is absolutely despicable. Uh, but I'm not against the model. Uh, I think it really matters. This is a this is a area where high detail, highly uh, important that details matter. I am absolutely fine with the basic framework of the uh, sort of type of plan that you there theoretically outlined as a theoretical possible framework, as long as the, you know everybody's getting something. Uh, and, and, and the things that we're all getting are in alignment with the goals of the things that we need to be doing, like achieving housing and, and reducing climate impact. Those are two wins. I'm fine with that. And I I just wanted to sort of highlight because as, as I said, you know, some people might be forgiven for thinking that I'm just anti everything when it comes to large Mm -hmm. uh, companies or deals. And that is not the case. So with that, we're going to go to uh, Megan, who's going to tell us uh, who's our tech this week. And she's going to tell us what our music break is. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I am Siren Kaster. I'm in the studio with Stefan Hostetter. And uh, we're now into part two. Uh, if you missed anything from the first section or you want to follow that, uh, the, the, any of the articles from Stefan's section or anything coming up after this point, you can do that at greenmajority.ca. I would also like to thank very much, as I forgot to do before the break, uh, all of our wonderful community uh, radio partners, our podcast listeners, our uh, other partners that post our show in various places, uh, the internet for existing for us to exist.
exist in, uh, like a happy organism in a, in a friendly medium. Mm. Well, it still exists, but this is not a uh, internet policy show. So we won't be talking about that, but, uh, hashtag net neutrality. But anyway, um, so coming into, uh, uh the, what I, uh, was calling earlier, the, uh, oil report, uh, Stefan, I'm going to, I'm going to lead on you for some commentary here a little bit, but mm-hmm. basically the first thing I wanted to start with was, um, so this article is uh, over a month old at this point. Well, it's, it's approximately a month old. So the, it's not something that just happened, but it's interesting. And I, and I wanted to sort of talk about it a little bit. And it had to do with a bit of what's being, what was at least being called by the media reporting. it. Uh, in this case, uh, the article I'm pulling from is the from Washington Post, um, is a revolt, uh, is how it's been phrased by shareholders. So effectively... Um, there's been a number of initiatives, and we've talked about this sort of in a general sense before, Stefan, uh, about uh, the ability that shareholders have to influence companies and how they act. So uh, Exxon has been um, really like, I mean, they're they're going down in history now at this point as, uh, I mean, they'll be, Exxon it's personally will be in the history books for a variety of reasons, and not just because they're one of the bigger uh, oil companies. But now, I mean, you've got the Rex Tillerson connection, the fact that the, it's 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 long running and I th- potentially only ever for something like 40 years. I don't have it off the top of my head, but uh, Rex Tillerson being the CEO now mm. uh, and now being at the State Department, uh, they were, uh, there's lawsuits against them for, for being one of the first people to confirm, from independently confirm climate change at all, much less an oil company, uh, as true, and then spend 40 or 50 years funding climate denial. Uh, I mean, they really are, it's really, you can't talk about climate change and not talk about ExxonMobil. So what's been interesting is, is sort of what's been happening on the back end, as we've seen all these conversations about, um, uh, conversations about, uh, divestment campaigns and whether or not these are effective. Well, we don't, we can't say, how this came about. But I would say all of those things would have chipped in. Social pressure and changing times, the fact that major media is now talking about climate change a little bit more, um, uh, and uh, just just the fact that people just know more, uh, general acceptance of climate change is generally going upwards over time. Obviously, there's little pockets of back uh, backsliding, but you know who's to say? But what we ended up with was enough shareholders to essentially defeat uh, a management initiative. So what they were trying to do um, here, and I actually find financial reporting to use a lot of jargon. And so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing my best to understand exactly what happened here. I'm, and obviously, I've never been a shareholder or in a shareholders meeting. So I'm doing my best here. Perhaps uh, if I make a mistake here, someone will email us and, and, and correct me on some of the details here. Uh, but uh, basically, they, were, they wanted to force uh, Exxon to, uh, to show their work, essentially. So uh, my understanding from what I've read, and I, I've read the same article three times to try and get the best understanding I could, and I'm still not 100% on it. But basically what it seems like is that um, Exxon already produces like reports on their uh, futures, obviously. So as a company, they have to pr- produce reports. My understanding is that they were already producing reports with respect to climate change. And what's happening is that the shareholders were saying, essentially, prove it. So one of the areas where this would come up would be, um, so they're saying, you know, they're, they're going to estimate their, their profitability into the future. And they say that they've included, yes, you know, so we talked about a little while ago, you know, despite uh, climate, uh, changing climate and changing industry, they were reporting that they were expecting to still be doing 80% of their current business in 2040 or something like that. I just made out those numbers, but it was like something to that effect, right? And, and so essentially what the shareholders have said is we don't believe you. Uh, everything we're seeing everywhere else seems to indicate that this is becoming less plausible. These things you keep saying about your about the value of your company going into the future. And so uh, we re- we're going to require you to, t- to tell us how you came up with those numbers and be a lot more transparent. Um, this is not the first company to have undergone that. There's been similar actions done. Uh, I believe it was in Peru. Oh, I could be wrong. Um, had a similar thing happen uh, recently that actually failed. 
um, or in the past while. But what I think is interesting here is, um, and I think is worth commenting for a minute here, and I'll, Stefan, I'll get you to jump in really quick, is just, uh, is, is, is what type of tipping point, if any, is it that essentially, uh, there's sort of two things that I find very interesting here. One is that the social consciousness around climate change now is so strong that even that enough shareholders in a company that's business model is based on producing climate effects uh, is now forcing that company to take better accounting of itself. That's one. So sort of the people being motivated to do this is one. The other thing is, is uh, you know, living in a world where a company like Exxon can have a business based on climate change, say they're concerned about climate change, and then re- essentially fight the shareholders. So basically both sides of reactions are interesting. I don't want to spend a ton of time on it because I have some other stories, but I just I want to get your reaction on both of those two points independently. I, I think the, the fact that this was a... Uh a financial sort of like finan- large financial firms forcing Exxon to pay attention uh, to climate change and to care is is really just an acknowledgement of reality. You know, there's a there's a level of this in which um, the, the the there's one thing that to be said about large financial firms uh, is that uh, at s- they are very good at some point of realizing that the markets will change uh, and that they will and when they decide to react to that th- things change very quickly um, and the like. We've talked about this before. The idea that some of the some of the large numbers that Exxon and Shell and these large oil companies put out about their expectations for growth into the future are just so outside of realm of science uh, that if you're in a large financial firm that you're back 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 to them, of course you want them to to to, ch- to realize this because the thing the other option is that at some point when the actual world does change, uh, the carbon bubble will be will be that much larger, and I would say that this is the. Uh, th- the fact that, this, that these are these large financial firms driving this, I think it should be noted that it is a, a, a the beginning of uh, us and – not us considering we are here, but uh, a beginning of the world or, or, or of markets and especially of large, uh, of large marketplaces really begin to understand just how much the, the carbon bubble is a real thing. Uh, and how much our markets are at risk to the fact that if if, if that, that these projections that are put out by Exxon and Shell every year about how by 2040 we'll be we will be burning as much oil as we are now um, is is dangerous and not and I mean danger it's dangerous from a you know we might all die because uh, humanity apocalypse danger but it, you know that's not what they care about it's dangerous from a your stock portfolio might go down in 15 years dangerous and I don't just mean down I mean like losing 1.5 trillion dollars off the richest companies in the world down like this is this is this is like cat, cata- catastrophe larger than the housing market for mar- uh, collapsing for you know again for market prices um and so uh, the fact that this is coming from there, I think, is this the f- first note that should be noted. Like, this is being taken seriously. Um, and, and if it happens quickly, it's going to disrupt a lot of things very, very quickly. Uh, and so w- these are the type of little – these are little things like this and Exxon pulling – and Ex- you know, a few months ago we had some about Exxon admitting that they were uh, – that one of their oils – one of their wells might have to be abandoned uh, for, because it wasn't going to be developed ever. Like those little – these are the drips that's, that come before I think the torrent uh, that bursts the carbon bubble. Um, and so – and and that isn't like and that that is a thing we need to brace ourselves for. That's not like one of the things where like, burst the carbon bubble we we often speak of as like a goal, but it's also going to be a massive massive hit to the to the, our way of life. And so I think and we have to be ready for both sides. 
uh, and this is like the first step there. Yeah, oil shareholders, get your Game of Thrones memes ready. Well, not even oil shareholders, anyone <laughs> with a pension plan. Yeah. Like, well, speaking of which, and uh, that's perfect, so let me read the quote. So another story I'm not going to get into, but it's just the title there based on what you just said, is also Imperial Oil has recently been downgraded uh, in a variety of ways based on their target price and their, their performance uh, as well. So yeah, that, that just another note that that's trending. So really quickly, a quote that I found interesting that leads from your point you just made, actually, Stefan, before we move to the other story. Uh, so I'm just reading now directly from the Washington Post article. Uh, BlackRock, which said that the climate disclosure was one of its top priorities, BlackRock being one of the major financial investors, uh, has warned on its website that, quote, our patience is not infinite. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. That's a financial company. Those are, that's like a scientist swearing. Like they're being very serious there. Uh, quote, uh, further quote, uh, this is an unprecedented victory for investors in the fight to ensure a smooth transition to a low carbon economy. Uh, and a quote said New York state controller uh, uh, of a uh, trustee of the New York common retirement fund, which is one of the co-sponsors of this resolution quote, climate change is one of the greatest long-term risks we face in our portfolio and has a direct impact on the core business model of Exxon mobile. Uh, very true, obviously true. Uh, but having uh, such large in uh, stakeholders uh, saying so from the financially benefiting side is extremely noteworthy. Uh, so I'm going to move over now um, to another one with another great quote here just to really quickly uh, – well, sorry, let me quickly mention something and then we'll do the Saskatchewan last. So uh, another one off that story, of course, is that there's now talk – and it's funny because I mentioned this a few weeks ago, Stefan um, – about Canada pushing for oil sales to China as it seeks climate leadership based on the idea of the uh, unclear political situation in the United States, called it. Uh, interesting point here that I actually didn't immediately think of, uh, I should have, but it sort of, it, it, I read it before it occurred to me, uh, which was along the ideas that, <clears throat> so I'm happy with this. And so I, my personal position on this, Stefan, is that for the oil that's going to be sold full stop, I would rather sell it to a country that is using that to keep them busy in the meanwhile, while they're actively and rapidly transitioning away from oil than I would to a country that's not. If oil is being sold either way, I would rather we sold it to China under their current circumstances than to the Americans. Now, that's more of just like a moral position I'm taking uh, rather than a, a politically informed uh, international trade position. I am not educated properly to make that assessment. But just morally speaking, I just wanted to make that right. make that point. Uh, the other point that's interesting, though, is that this also comes with some risk. The fact that China is rapidly uh, moving away from oil uh, may make a long term. So just assuming. So what they're essentially they're cautioning is don't just assume that we can now transfer our long-term sales agreements from the Americans to the Chinese because the whole point that they're trying to get off oil also means that those agreements have a clock on them. So that's not like, a well, don't you know sell oil to China because they might not need it tomorrow. Uh, it's that sort of keep in mind that this doesn't extend our timeline for not wanting oil to be our main export or, or our sort of our, our national branded export uh, that we put all our political capital behind. Uh, which I think is a very important uh, point. Uh, they can also process a lot of their own crude anyway. So uh, uh, th this will be interesting. I'm sort of marking that as a as an issue to watch and just because I like being able to say called it when I can. Uh, so the last one here, we got about four minutes before the end of this section, is uh, with regards to the ongoing uh, combat between essentially Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and the federal government with regards to uh, carbon uh, uh, policy. Uh, Premier Brad Wall from Saskatchewan is uh, calling it, uh, quote, nothing short of extortion. Um, the, the drama here, I think, is, is, you know, if you're interested, you can read it. Uh, the details, it's sort of political uh, sniping. Uh, what I'm interested in is the, 
uh, is the optics as usual. I'm interested in optics and I'm interested in, in the rhetoric, uh, because a lot like this is all politics at this point, right? Uh, the policy is going on behind the scenes. So the policy isn't pure politics. I'm, I'm, I, again, my reservation with the Canadian federal government is not that the stuff they are doing sucks, but that the other stuff they're doing sucks <laughs> by which I mean, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I, I would like some of their climate change policies to be stronger, but I think that I think that they're sort of acceptable at the rate that we're going. It's just that they're doing that on the basis of selling oil. You know, everyone be quiet while we sell the rest of our oil is the only way you're going to get that. That's the part that I have the problem with. Uh, but the actual climate change plans on themselves seem good uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, so what's really interesting now is sort of watching the political theater that's going on now. And and the one thing that struck to me, and we were talking about this quickly uh, during the break there, Stephen, just to clarify what the point is here. So Brad Wall is, is calling an extortion because they're being excluded from a approximately uh, $1.4 billion fund that's going to go to provinces and territories to pay for greenhouse re- uh, gas reduction provinces. Uh, and they are going to be they, the basis upon which they would be um, uh, given this funding is having had either A, coming up with their own private agreement or B, uh, you know, essentially, essentially signing the agreement that they will either accept the rules that the federal government has outlined or that they're going to come up with their own policy. Saskatchewan and Manitoba have refused to sign uh, for slightly different reasons. Um, not hugely different, but slightly <laughs> different reasons. Um, but what's interesting here from, a, from an optics point of view is that like so – and Stefan was, was good to clarify this – was that it's not the same money. But just from an optics point of view and, – and we can talk about this for the last minute I guess uh, – is that essentially what you're saying is, hey, climate change isn't real. Like he's saying that this is a, this is a waste of money. So if, if it's a waste of money, then climate change isn't real or you have a better idea how to solve it. Well, he doesn't get to have that I have a better idea how to solve it argument because he's also refusing to implement his own plan for Saskatchewan. So essentially he's by proxy and, and – and through rhetoric insinuating that climate change isn't a real threat. This money is earmarked directly and specifically for provinces to deal with the mitigation and effects of climate change. So Bradwell is effectively trying to say, he's effectively trying to say, I don't want to pay into a climate change fund, but I do want to take your climate change money. Now, the point that Stefan was, was importantly clarified to be important to note here is that this isn't, they aren't paying into a fund and then not getting money out of it. The, the money that would be collected by uh, the climate change fund is is different, and they would they would maintain well, control of it. Do you it, want to clarify? Yeah, which is, which is an important point. The, one of the, the one of the funny or frustrating things uh, about the provincial opposition to uh, Trudeau's uh, requirement for price on carbon was that it was designed to ensure that the provinces kept all pa- all the money that they raised. It wasn't like they were raising money for the federal government. Every single the reason why the idea was that each province would make their own their own way of having a price on carbon was so that they could then choose what worked best for them and how it could work like, like basically gave, it's the most canadian way to force change possible well, it was sort of like here like decide the way to do it in this way uh or any way you would like here are the and, outcomes we require and you get to keep the money and so it's and, and so like they get to keep the money and they can control of the money um and there's a quote here actually from the article uh very briefly uh from from brad wall which it's one of those things where it's like everyone gets everyone gets to pretend certain things, um, uh, which is like we'll, so. The quote is: "We'll be applying for this fund, and we expect to be considered for it. It's the Saskatchewan people ha- that have invested in the dollars that are being distributed through this fund." Um, and I and what's interesting about this is that um, uh, it has been the 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 the, the, the province of Saskatchewan 
for most of its history, um, if not all of its history. Uh, no, sorry, for, for most of its history, um, has not been a province that has been giving more money than it gets back to the federal government. Um, and so this is a – so this means that in the scenario, we have Brad Wall saying that the Saskatchewan government – the Saskatchewan people paid for this money, which was that which, – which, so they should get a piece of it, which is not true uh, because the Saskatchewan government ha- – Saskatchewan people get more money than they give out historically. Uh, you know, it's usually – it's almost entirely has been Alberta, Ontario, BC, uh, and occasionally Quebec that are the provinces giving more money than they get back. Uh, now, with the recent oil boom, there's a pro- I, 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 I have not – I'm looking up right now and do not get fast enough whether or not how much money um, uh, Saskatchewan is, 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 is actually giving out right now. But historically speaking, way more money has gone into Saskatchewan than has gone out. And so he's making the case that we should get the money that because we gave it in, but also we won't do the thing that we care about, but also give us the money. It, it, it's yeah. there's there's no part of this argument makes sense like <laughs> I, like i don't like i like i i refuse to uh, adapt to climate change but i want money to adapt to climate change uh we are we deserve the money because we gave you the money but we actually didn't just just do the thing brad wall just <laughs> just get a price on carbon and, and then and, and then you, can, you will get you'll and you get can the money. do it and say they forced your hand and then run on how like like he can still be a politically slimy and use car- this you can run a price of carbon and then cut taxes by the amount of money he right he he gets the money price of carbon that's a thing you can do yeah that's fine but i mean so, so we're over time here we're gonna get to our final break so we don't go over time but essentially the takeaway is is that brad wall you have to decide if climate change is real or not if it's real then accept the damn fund and if you want to be cynical then do is suggest Steph, Stefan suggests and lower taxes and balance it out so nobody gets affected. But if it's not real, you don't need access to the fund because the fund is exclusively for mitigating climate change. So pick a story. <laughs> uh, all right, we're going to go to our second and final music break here. Uh, Megan, jump back in. Tell us what we're going to listen to. Welcome back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Saren Kaster, and we're now into the uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly section of the program. I'm going to start with some good. This is And the good, as usual, you can usually get my uh, my hint. When I call something good, it's it's it, there's almost never actually good environment news. So when we have a section that I say a story is good, it usually means uh, that there's either been an extremely rare good political thing. <laughs> Almost certainly, it means some new technology has been developed that I'm gonna that I'm gonna like froth at the mouth over. Uh, so these are both uh, still, I believe. I'm just gonna check quickly here while I'm talking. I'm pretty sure yes. Uh, these are both in a sort of. Uh, post-research pre-development stage, basically. So these are not uh, commercially ready products, uh, but they have progressed significantly along their development cycle such that um, the the people responsible are starting to publish about them and and sort of show their work, if you will. So they're technologies that work. We know they work. uh, They just haven't been successfully commercialized. Um, I don't know enough about them to tell you what the time horizon on like uh, them being available for retail purchase would might be. Uh, but there, this is sort of near future. So the two stories that I've uh, flagged today, and thank you uh, very much to my friends on Facebook, because that's how I got both of these. Um, one of them is this, uh, this sounds really wild, actually, Stefan. Uh, but I've, I'm, it, I looked through the details and, and my basic science understandings, it, it sounds plausible. So, uh, so you tell me what you think. Uh, solar paint offers endless energy. I know that's where you roll your eyes, but listen, no, it's, it, it's actually very interesting. It's not an infinite momentum machine or whatever. That's good news. Uh, solar paint offers endless energy from water vapor. So what it does 
is there's already titanium oxide, I believe. Titanium something, I believe. It's, yes, titanium oxide is already in white paint pigments. So titanium oxide is already commonly used in a lot of paints. It turns out uh, that when you add uh, this new uh, molecule, which I'm going to try and find here somewhere, uh, doesn't super matter. It's a synthetic, uh, there you go, uh, synthetic uh, molybdenum. I don't even know how to begin to pronounce that word. Molybdenum, molybdenum uh, sulfate. Uh, which acts as a semiconductor and catalyzing catalyzes the splitting of water molecules. So essentially, the silica it's a silica gel uh, like material um, uh, that acts as a semiconductor uh, and is mixed with the titanium oxide. And it's effectively, what it does is if you have solar radiation and water molecules, so even mist, so like morning dew is enough. You can you can have this an area with no like it could be in the middle of the desert as long as it gets dew overnight. Uh, it is apparently enough to do this, and what it does is it essentially becomes a, oh, it's not a hydrolysis machine, but it, it, it separates hydrogen and oxygen. And what it does is it could be a paint that could be painted on basically any surface. It wouldn't generate electricity directly, but it would essentially turn your paint into a hydrogen fuel cell generator. And so, I mean, this the, the, the issue with the hydrogen fuel cell has been always, how, well, how do we store it on vehicles and how do we uh, generate it? Uh, and sort of there's been a, a sort of a beta VHS for to anyone who wasn't born you know, in the 80s to Google that. But uh, <laughs> uh, essentially, it's one of those things where there's advantages and disadvantages to both technologies. And it's sort of one of those things where we'll see. It seemed for a long time like batteries were going to really take it just because there had already been so much research and done. Like batteries technology was so far ahead down the re- development cycle and there'd been so much... There's so many uh, there's so many factories that already make batteries, and there's so much research already done in battery technology that that batteries uh, batteries for EV vehicles have really had an advantage. Uh, this if this works as advertised and is not a billion dollars a can, um, it really depends on how expensive it is to mass produce that uh, synthetic uh, molybdenum uh, sulfate. Uh, essentially is that this could allow everybody's house to essentially passively produce hydrogen fuel that could be easily used to both uh, uh, generate electricity within the home or uh, be transferred to a vehicle. Um, And I just, I'm just super giddy about that. Comment, Stefan, before I move on. I feel like the... um... Aside from from the obvious, this sounds too good to be true, comment. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like there's always these uh, there's always these things whenever you're talking about something like paint um, or, or 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 roofs. Like, do you remember a couple years ago when there was this whole conversation about how much energy could be saved if we all if if we all painted our our roofs white? I think Al Gore said it on something, and everyone, everyone it, it's part of the yeah, it's part of the climate realism project. Or yeah, cl- yeah, reality climate reality project. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then and then someone came up to Canada and asked about it, and the answer was, oh, if you did that. Uh, it would basically all of the roofs in Canada would get would get crushed because it wouldn't melt snow fast enough, uh, and it was like oh yeah other things, um, and so I think a part of me often whenever I get something like this like hey I'm if if it works that's amazing and all these technologies and I think the more I think the more weird things we develop uh, and the more uh, the, the more often than not they are never ever ever the game changing thing that they claim to be, uh, but often they have their uses and they have their ways to make something better 
Uh, you know, so like segways were like going to change the way everyone travels, uh, and now they are for uh, the elderly and tours of uh, of of seaboards, which is fine. There are very useful things, and the segways found their 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 place, uh, and they are useful additions to the transportation you know, infrastructure that exists in these two specific needs. I, I, um, quickly, I wanted to do a segway tour when I was in France, but I was too embarrassed to get on a segway. <laughs> exactly. Um, they're weird. Uh, but the point is that like, I think whenever you get something, these sort of these wide ranging big plans um, or these like, this could change everything more often than not, it will be helpful for one industry and it will be another step to forward. Uh, so it's like, I think it's useful and positive to talk about, but like I do not anticipate someone is going to start painting every wall with, you know, with solar paint. Uh, well, and, and then the way technology often works is that we design something for a benefit we want and we find out about a downside later after we've mass produced it. So, I mean, it's entirely possible that we find out that synthetic moly deb, um, denim sulfate uh, is like highly cancer causing or something. But I, I feel like because there's already a lot of concerns around the health impacts of paint, I'm pretty sure that they'll check that in the <laughs> process. So uh, I don't think we'll get, you know, I don't think every home in, in the North America will be painted and then they'll go, whoops. I mean, you never know, but I doubt it. Uh, so let's move on. So another, the other one is the uh, new uh, instantly rechargeable batteries. Uh, and the the title in it is uh, is somewhat provocatively done. But deals a fatal blow to fossil. Yeah, okay, we've all read fifty articles that say that. Uh, but no, but this is really interesting because that's been like essentially the. Uh, and I remember talking about this just brainstorming with with you at some conference like four years ago, like right when you came on the show, was about the idea of uh, you know if you make the batteries for EV vehicles uh, extremely accessible, say like a chamber that unlocks with your key and just slides out of the side of the car, what you could actually do is essentially you lease the battery, and so you. You'd have uh, gas stations would turn to battery stations. You drive in just the way you would at a gas station, but you just pull out a battery and put in a charged one. And you essentially, it's you're on like a re- it's like a monthly fee that you would do. You'd have a contract. Maybe different companies could like you know have some sort of overage thing where you can share each other's things. Uh, but like you know, so you'd be a customer of Shell uh, or you know Exxon Canada battery, and you would drive into the station and then you would give them your empty battery. They give you a full battery, and then it would take like a minute to get a new a new tank of energy mm-hmm. uh, this would make it even faster but is essentially functioning along the same thing and that's really been one of the the major downsides is people's concerns about being able to get energy is really i think the biggest thing in my opinion uh, to keeping people back from making these purchases as information about their efficiency and all the climate change and everything else comes out i think that's one of the the, the remaining sticking points of course uh, matthew klippenstein who may be listening is uh, i know has actual data on this so matthew i await your email correcting me mm-hmm. or reinforcing that point i just made uh and i will update it if need be <laughs> later in the show uh, i'm not going to get the the how it actually works is technical and if you're scientifically minded uh go ahead and read that i'm not going to get too much into it but just sort of like these are the types of things when we when we're having our conversation about uh, sabina's not here but whether or not uh you know technology can save us mm-hmm. um when i when i suggest that it possibly can these are the types of things that i'm talking about where it's a combination of a new technology combined with with an uh, with an equal and an opposite uh, effect on how we actually use that technology that's where i think it can be effective if we just cycle out one technology for another then i think we're we're just creating new problems but if we use the technology to and also adapt our behavior around that technology good things can happen hmm. uh so those are the two that i had flagged uh stefan i'll give you a quick off the cuff thing you can uh decide right now live in the moment do you want to talk about flint with our last few minutes uh or do you want to talk about airborne particles the one you don't pick will be our bono show ah fair um i i feel like if if if, if memory serves me well i feel like flint may take a bit longer so maybe let's bonus show that. Bonus show that okay so uh very interesting article and uh i you know i, I want to give a shout out to the economist we don't pull content from them very often but 
<clears throat> as as a news uh, organization that is ostensibly, I would say, right leaning. Uh, just in the sense that, well, I wouldn't say they're even right leaning. I would say they're conservative leaning, and I and I would draw a distinction there, uh, mostly based around the fact that they're extremely, you know, economically oriented and tend to veer. Uh, they would have a general disposition to to tend towards. Uh, corporations and things like, you know, global trade and that sort of thing. Um, they also are extremely honest in a lot of cases, I find. And, and they, I, they've been impressing me for years with their ability to come out and, and be very, very un unapologetic about things that don't mesh with that sort of ideology. So they, they seem to be very ideologically consistent and very ideologically honest. Um, and uh, and uh, they do they do a good job. So what they've done here today is is uh, drawn together a very comprehensive report on airborne particles causing deaths. It's reporting that more than 3 million early deaths a year are caused by air pollution alone. And now that alone, I would say, unfortunately, the, the sad state of our world is on that alone may not have made the show. <laughs> but what's really interesting here, and this is where I think it's really worth talking about, and we've got about six minutes to do that, Stefan, is, uh, is that essentially the, they've mapped it and they're mapping it based on the export. The way they've mapped it is export of deaths. And so they have a map now here essentially saying because the pollution goes up and it goes somewhere else and then causes deaths. So they've essentially tracked that pollution back to its or origin and and and, t and now have a map showing about net it's that shows it's it's quite terrifying showing net deaths exported and net deaths imported and and uh stefan i don't know if it's possible if there's any way while i'm talking here to, to even tweet out that image if not we'll we'll do it on the show later uh but the the image here and i'll just run through this some some of the numbers and then i'll give you the last comment uh is showing so for instance um uh so deaths per million residents canada exports 224 uh deaths uh, per million residents to the rest of the world. Uh, uh, India, for instance, imports <laughs> 24 deaths per million people. Um, and so it really, what it does, and I think this is something I really want to applaud uh, the economists for doing, and I think it is an important way to look at this stuff, is that when we're talking about you know, mining, you know, I've said in the past, you know, Canada, again, I really should check it because I keep using this and I've never bothered to actually check if we're still selling asbestos. But for a long time, if we aren't already, you know, Canada had banned asbestos in buildings because of its health impact, but we still mined it and sold it elsewhere in the world. If not still, then until very recently. Um, and this is sort of really putting a visual on that. And what's really obvious uh, is it shows you sort of the concentration of net death exporters. And it is, of course, the West, quote unquote, uh, to a large degree. Uh, so Canada, United States is beating us not as much as you'd think by 227, uh, sorry, 274 to 224. So only 50 more uh, within the within the realm of the few hundred. So quite close. Uh, Western Europe combined is 319. Uh, Russia imports 164 deaths. Uh, Eastern Europe imports 241. And I think the, the important piece to remember here in part um, is is to is that the the ones that are quote unquote importing the deaths, which is a really depressing way of putting it, or is is really that um, the, the 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 people who are the worst about exporting it are the people who all have strong air air quality regulations, but are but are more than happy to export the problem elsewhere, uh, and the ones that are are, are really importing it. Um, are people who have uh, who are in the mid stage of uh, of of going of, of development? They're the ones who who sort of are importing a lot of energy uh, and a lot of dirty energy, um, and and not and 
and because of that are importing these uh, these things that are causing these 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 deaths mm-hmm. um you know because you look at some of the numbers of latin america and sub-saharan africa it looks like well that's all, they, like they are they are on this side of actually exporting quote unquote more deaths but the part of that is the reason why is that they uh is that a lot of these a do not have the same kind of exports uh and so they are not they they are not necessarily um and they aren't necessarily importing the same kind of stuff either. But more specifically, they don't have these massive, massive cities that are currently being clogged up by 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 fossil pollution. Like that's the big thing here. Is like you know when you look at we look at China and in India. Um, I'm I'm fascinated by Russia. I need to read more. I'm fascinated by how Russia managed to import so much, um, and or Eastern Europe as well. Um, I'm interested in what's going on there mm-hmm. uh, because they're not they're not the ones I would normally immediately think of, and so I'm kind of curious. Um, but that's a point. Like, like this is the this is this is a, this is a combination of regulation and strong regulation mixed with uh, being a exporter of these sort of dangerous fossil fuels and other things like that. And it's it's important, uh, and I guess this will have to be my last comment here. We're coming up to the end of the show, but. Uh it's important to recognize that what they're tracking is the source of the pollution, not the country or persons responsible, right? Mm. So as you said, Sub-Saharan Africa is listed as exporting uh, 14 deaths, but that's not because oh, uh, the people who live there are, you know, even care even less and are even more polluting than the people in, in, uh, in India. It's because, you know, that's where a number of companies could be. So those could even be American companies. Oh, easily, yeah. It's just that there's being exported from Africa, right? So just, just make sure that you understand that when you're looking at it, that it's, 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 it's not talking about whom is creating it. It's not talking about what some of this could even be natural, right? If there's, it's entirely plausible that there's some natural phenomenon in Latin America uh, that is, that is creating natural air pollution. I, I, I'm just making that up, but just for the sake of point. So don't, don't misunderstand what the numbers actually mean. It's talking about source, not responsibility necessarily, not, not a lot of things, not whether this is a company or, or a government or, or the citizens thereof. Uh, but I think it's worth looking at and especially to check ourselves as Canadians. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is all the times uh, that we have for this week's program if you're listening to the podcast uh stay tuned in a couple of days on monday we'll be posting that bonus show uh listeners from another location please check out the bonus show uh you will very much enjoy it as always this week a guest as stefan's call we're going to be talking about the flint water crisis where uh several uh, officials have actually been charged with involuntary manslaughter uh we'll be talking a little bit about that more in the bonus show but uh regardless of that thank you very much to our listeners thank you very much to our partner stations thank you very much to ciut for hosting us coming up on 10 years stefan uh october will be my 10th year uh, 11th year for the show next September. Uh, it's, uh, it's been a good haul and we're going to keep doing it. So stay tuned for us next week and we'll talk to y'all real soon. Take care.